Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Carl Carlson. Hey, Carl. Hey, we got a, I ran into, it wasn't really a question. It was more, somebody made a statement and I said, oh, that doesn't look right. And we had a back and forth a little bit about it. And they said, <clears throat> and they said, is, we don't use reliability as a goal uh, or a requirement because it's so difficult to measure. It was kind of the gist of what they're doing. And I'm like, so what do you do instead? And they were yield and time to market and cost targets. Those were all project requirements or, or, expectations, I guess would be a better word. And then they had, it had to be so much weight and color and all these things. And those they called requirements. And this is, well, are you trying to make a product that's going to work? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Reliability is really important. I said, oh. <laughs> I, Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I probably laughed at them too. If I was, I think it was all through email, so it wasn't live, but I've run, I've done that with clients. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's important and you're not going to make it important. You're not going to measure it. Yeah. But it's important. <laughs> and, and to be honest, or to be fair, is if you, if the only way you've ever tracked reliability uh, was parts count and you realize that that's pretty useless, it has nothing to do with your product, and then you wait for field data, it takes you a year or so before you have field data to say how reliable it was. And that's not useful for a design team, you know, for the current design. So they get into this space of just not knowing, well, what are their options? And that, to some extent, you know, we do this day in and day out, not a, a mechanical engineer doesn't. So, you know, I don't, I don't blame them for this conundrum they get themselves into. Um, it's, it's, Interesting to me is that a group of really smart people that can make these amazing gadgets and systems and products and stuff like that don't feel enabled to go figure out how to measure reliability. Yeah, this is a, for me, this is a, it strikes a chord. There's a lot of passion in this one with me because the, we walked the path in the 1980s and early 90s at General Motors. Mm -hmm. And there, the reliability group back then, this is before I, I picked up the the role. I was a reliability engineer. And the reliability group issued a memo for each program called Reliability Goal. And it was a memo to the to the program team or the project team. So you have a new Malibu, you have a new this or that, and then you'd have a memo for the reliability goal. And the reliability goal was a defects per thousand vehicles um, after the first year. Mm -hmm. And so they'd issue the memo and, and then they'd follow up and allocate it down. So if the overall was, you know, X DPTV and then the hinge, the door hinge person might have 0 0.01 DPTV and mm -hmm. that was their reliability goal. Right. Nobody knew what to do with that. <laughs> it was to completely utterly useless piece of information. And since it was a, quote, goal, unquote, 
It was not required. Yeah. It was not required. It was not measured and not required. And that was, and since then, GM, to their credit, has completely resolved this. Yeah. And so it's, we've done an about face on it, but that was the initial thing. So that was my introduction to reliability goals. Well, you were, I've heard you talk about one of your early jobs was door testing, right? And there's that hinge with that 0.01 DPTD or whatever that acronym is. Um, well, how did they, you know, what was the test for? What is What was it trying to do? So the tests were um, very, there were some good tests. So you basically, you would wiggle the hinge, you'd stress it, you'd, you'd do stress tests, you'd do um, durability tests, and you had certain requirements that it has to last this long and, you know, that kind of thing. And hold a 10-year-old on it while it's swinging and things yeah, like that. Yeah, you try to, to simulate 10 years of uh, use usage. So it had that aspect, which was good, but it, it never... It wasn't a requirement other than pass the test. So if the test was good, then you'd have some information that could be related to reliability, or maybe the test was only a strength test, and that's not doesn't get a reliability number. Right. So it was di- disjointed is probably the best word, and yet the project teams back then were saying reliability is important, so the reliability group would issue that memo. Yeah. And that that was my introduction to reliability at the project level. And it then began a long process of developing good reliability requirements that fit the definition and all four elements of the definition of reliability and getting them incorporated into the technical specifications for the subsystem and the component and the vehicle. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was the path. It, I mean, it, similar, it's one group I ran into that they showed me the requirements document and I almost always would go, well, what's the reliability objective here? What are you trying to do? And they said, <clears throat> and they said, well, we want it to last for two years and that's on page three. Okay, well, how many of them do you want to last for two years? Oh, well, that's over on page 74, you know, with the probability part. And, and it was disjointed all over the map and then environments and everything else. And it, it went, so they were getting the idea, but it was not clean or clear or easy to use by any means. So that was one step. And then the other thing I noticed in their document is that the weight or the color or the case size or stuff like that, these uh, requirements of the, on the design team, uh, had little tags on it, you know, it'd be like a little box attached to the word or the phrase with, you know, C287 or whatever it was. And, or Q, it was always Q. And I said, what are those Q things? And they says, well, those are the quality tags. The quality department goes through it and they, they list all of the requirements that they're going to go measure. And if it doesn't meet one of those or any of those or some of them, um, then we got to explain it and do something about it or, or wave it or whatever. Well, what about the reliability? None of those had any tags on it. And it says, well, they don't know how to measure it. So they don't tag it. And so they only tag things they know how to measure. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's, yeah, that I sounds understand. convenient. <laughs> I understand. And he, he, what you described in the technical specifications is better than some, yeah. because it, even though it's disjointed, it had the information in there. Uh, when we started, the technical specifications had a reliability statement, which is basically go forth and make it reliable. 
uh, yeah. was about was the was the principle. In was, other words, there were no numbers. Yeah, it no was like a measurable. Yeah, it was a there. banner on the wall. Make it reliable. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. And thus began, a, I'd say, about a ten-year process of going through all the specifications and creating reliability sections that included the so rather than disjointed, it had it all in one place. It had the the uh, the probability if you had a probability, uh, and it had the function. Uh, that your probability is the likelihood that the item will accomplish this function. So it would have the function statement. It would have the environment or refer to the environment because sometimes the environment was in other sections, but it would clearly state what it is and refer to the, right. to it, as well as customer usage. What's the customer usage? And, of course, the time element. Mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. of that would be organized. And we went through all the dozens of large subsystems, and then hundreds of smaller subsystems and thousands of components. To See, get that's that. where I draw the line, though. It's And I know, you know, I'm thinking of the vital few, which you, you were an advocate of, is yep. at the end of the day, on the 10,000th component, the reliability aspect of that is not something we're going to do anything with. You know, it's we're not going to measure it. We're not going to... The bolt on the hinge. Now, the hinge assembly... Right, the door hinge assembly, or or, or that subsystem in and itself. I think my point is is that if we go to every single, and I saw an FMEA once. I know I told you about it. Where they they considered and documented the severity and, and occurrence and all this other stuff for every single rivet on a wing of an aircraft. Oh my God, no. The only assumption they made was that the right side wing and the right left side wing were the same, except for the dozen that were different because of internal structure differences. And so they had to do the extra 12. And they explained this to me and I says, is, are, are the rivets important? Is all exactly the same importance to the survivability of your aircraft? Go, oh, of course not. Then why did you <laughs> consider them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Fred, once again, I'm going to have to agree with you on this. The um, the the point, because when we got to the components, there are 10,000 components in an automobile. That's a, you know rough. I mean, it could be 15,000 in yeah. some more complex. That's not unusual for a complex system. No way you're going to get reliability requirements for all 10,000. Well, it, you can have requirements all day long. Is There's no way you're going to be able to measure yeah, them all. Yeah, you're not doing with them, so it's a waste of time. Yeah. So what we ended up with was what we call was is, is the vital few. We ended up with the critical parts. So we actually had uh, some people that worked on uh, determining what are the critical parts for a given car program. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. on the Malibu, because of this new technology, this new uh, what have you, uh, you might have 30 critical parts or 50 or something like that. And uh, and that's then those get reliability requirements and you'd have to work with the supplier and that becomes really important. And the other ones get due care. So yeah. they're going to have all kinds of quality requirements and other things, but they don't go into full reliability testing right well you can use use prior history or engineering judgment on those pieces and go I, yes we're, this is this dashboard's identical to this previous dashboard except it's got a different trim on it and it's, we're going to use that history to make this work 
there's, I mean, it's always a gray space though, is what's critical, what's not. And what I, I've always tried to do with organizations is that, you know, just like any other requirement that you have in your document, when you find out that you can't make five kilograms or less mass for this device, you go back to your customers or you go back to your team and you go, all right, can we make it 5.1 kilograms? And then they're like, what are the options? What's the trade-off? What's the disadvantage? Why did we have that number anyway? And the hard part is with reliability is that we get these, you know, we do modeling, we do all those evaluations and testing and all this stuff. Even when that's done really well, there's still uncertainty of what's the ramifications if we go to, instead of a two-year 98% reliable, we go to two years 97% reliable. Well, it doesn't take much ingenuity to figure out what if it really is going to be that much less than what's the warranty risk, what's this stuff. And it's once that becomes clear to a program team that you're not setting yourself in stone here. We got a block diagram. Overall, we got to make this goal and we have to have a minimum threshold. You know, if the transmission falls out every month, then that's probably bad for customer satisfaction. Even though you make the, even though the radio is super reliable, it doesn't make up for the transmission falling on. The idea is, is that it's, it's a requirement like any other requirement. And we need to know where we are relative to that. The vital few give us the focus to clear up the uncertainties of what we don't know. And you can change it. The allocation is just a guide. It's not, it's not set in stone. You can, if I can make something that's really reliable, I have extra reliability juice to give to some other part of the system. <laughs> you know, it's, okay. Once people realize that, that it's not wait till it's all done and then we have to spend six months testing full systems. No, no, you got to get this information all the way through the program. Right, right. The, if we lived in a world of infinite resources, then you could reliability test everything. Oh, because you have infinite time and infinite money. And in the real world, we have limited resources. So we need to focus those resources on where there's risk. And we can't, we don't have usually the time and the money to reliability test everything. So there needs to be some way to prioritize. Prioritization matters. It's, it is, it's an important ability to, uh, to prioritize. And we're going to do that on reliability testing, we're going to do that on just about everything that relates to reliability. And our book talks about the importance of gap assessment and seeing you know where the most critical areas are. Yep. So within that context, then those parts or subsystems that deserve and need reliability requirements that are actually measured and tracked to completion, then within that context, is it a goal or is it a requirement? And I'll answer it this way. If your goals mean you are going to achieve them and you're going to measure them and you're going to work to ensure they're done, then I'm okay with the word goal. However, if somebody says it's a goal, but it's not going to be tracked. We treat it like a suggestion. (laughs) Yeah, a suggestion. Then I want to use the word requirement. Yeah. And so when I'm in my reliability group at GM, we focused on making reliability requirement, getting it into the technical specifications, Mm -hmm. and for the most critical areas, making sure that it it gets airtime in the project meetings and 
that we actually close the loop to ensure we achieve those reliabilities. And on the critical parts, we made sure we put it in the contract that this supplier has to demonstrate that it achieves the reliability requirement before they ship the parts. And that really helped improve the overall reliability of the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. It still takes time to do demonstrations because that implies using the whole system. I, I There's two comments I have on that. One of them is, when, in my experience, I was working, um, it was a game um, console system. And I was working on, on the part of the program that was the like the game controller and and other input output devices and stuff. And so the one piece that was on or in the box uh, was basically the little radio receiver or whatever technology they used. It was a little itty bitty circuit board that was on the front face of this thing behind the, the plastic. And it received the signals from the game controllers, basically. They had not changed that design or that technology um, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. They had millions of these units in the field. They had never failed, ever. <laughs> there was no reported issue with them. And and the game controllers themselves were really robust. Unless somebody threw it off the 10th story window, out the 10th story window. And even then it would probably survive. It'd probably be scratched uh-huh. up a bit, but it, this thing mm-hmm. was indestructible. And they were doing some other weird controllers that, weren't as robust but that's where i got involved but the so the 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 console had reliability guy um storm and i'm a consultant with these this team so he'd started in my office ish area that i was in and demanded that i do reliability demonstration for that little circuit card and my goal was you know six nines uh and <laughs> he wanted 95, 99% confidence and, and he wanted to see what my sample size and test plan was and everything else. Oh, wow. and, then, and that we had to pay for the testing out of our budget in the, in this group. So I ran the calculation and I, which didn't take very long at all to do the style of test he wanted done. And I said, that's bigger than the entire budget for this department. <laughs> <laughs> not just samples i mean salaries our building everything wow. and there's no way we're going to run that test well you're required to run that test no i'm not i've <laughs> got 10 years of data that says that it's perfectly fine it's good enough and that person did not understand their their fundamentals very well. Oh no, he got he jumped up and down and got red in the face and called me in before the director of the reliability team and and this poor guy was he was super stressed out. He was losing weight hand over fist. It was back in the day of major problems with this particular console. And he looked at me and goes, "You're right. You could handle this differently." I said, "Yeah, but I'm not I don't have time for an idiot." And the guy standing there next to me. And the next day, the director asked if I wanted to take the other guy's job. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no thanks. But it was pushing that requirement to every component to the extreme. And the only way you could meet the, say that you met the requirement was through this inane task that he wanted to run. And, And the problem, Fred, is not only resources. Because, you know, maybe somebody could 
write a check for all kinds of research. The problem is when you overload the system with trivial, many things, you miss the forest for the trees. Yep. Yeah. You, you don't see the big problems that emerge because you're overloaded with data. Yeah, it's very true. And it's one of the things we, I don't think we talked about in the book, but the idea is, is that you need to constantly look on the lookout for what's changed, what's new, what, what new risks have emerged, what yeah. things have you learned along the way that the team has learned along the way that needs more investigation and then change, move, you know, reassess and f- keep focusing on the highest priority stuff. Yet it, that we talked about that part of it, it the, but there's a risk that if you do get spread too thin, you're exactly right, is you, it makes it hard to hear. You don't even want to hear about another issue showing up because you don't have hours in the day to deal with anything else. Yeah, yeah, you're spread too thin. Uh, one other comment I want to make while we're uh, before we wrap up this particular subject on the podcast today is the analysis versus physical test. The Because physical tests take time. Uh, analysis takes time to set up the analysis, but less time to run it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a trade-off there. Um, the direction of using analytical means or models and that type of thing is a good direction to try to aim for. Uh, you have to be careful about giving up physical tests. So this whole subject of that we talked about of requirements and measuring, how you measure is a work in progress. That's changing technology. We're moving towards more models and more analysis and away from, in some cases, physical tests, but not entirely. Uh, that's a subject that is exciting and is uh, has a lot of opportunities, but it's all part of that measurement. Yeah. It's what people accept as a measurement. That's what bothers me. Is in, We'll just put one sample in the chamber and we'll be fine. Well, huh. that, that's... That's what does not it mean? Yeah, that didn't mean anything. It, which is, if I did a you know finite element analysis and, and re- recognize that we have plenty of margin on all of the critical you know junctures on this particular device that's holding a particular weight, I, I'll make the argument to skip the test. Or if it's not just analysis, what's our prior history with it? What's the data that we have? What do the vendors know about this that we don't know? What, what's the dominant failure mechanism? What's the FMEA say? What's the high risk thing? So let's, what do we know about that? And there's, it's probably a topic I got to come back to at some point where we could probably talk about more than once on the podcast is that there are many ways to what, I think of as measurement. It's not just in the lab. It's not just an experiment. Um, I argue a little bit differently than you is that just it's a requirement. And if we've got evidence, and this is one I was thinking of earlier, is that there's a British standard, a military standard, and it's a subsection of something other, and it's got, a, you know, a, a military-like title and, and numbering system associated with it, but it's called a reliability case. Can I make the argument, a, a substantive argument, that we met that requirement? Right. You know, so right. if I've got 10 years of data from field that shows that they've had, like, no failures, and the yield on the thing out of the production was really high, <laughs> it was there was just almost no failures from its inception... Um, that is that not sufficient as an argument for its meeting the requirement and so on. It, it's But the idea of the reliability case, instead of saying, 
you know, vendors show me in a demonstration test or, or internally we have to run this, this and this prescriptive analysis or testing or combination. How about we just say, this is the objective. What is the argument that it meets that requirement? And it could right. be engineering judgment, and that might be good enough. It could be field data. It could be analysis. It could be testing in a variety of different ways. Um, but it doesn't. It's. I don't think we should prescribe how you measure it in the requirements document. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, good comments. The we have two topics here. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the one topic is having good reliability requirements, requirements that 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 include the different elements of reliability. And those have to be clearly defined where you're headed. Yep. Then yep. there's the subject of how do you measure it? Yes. How do you get there? What's the case? And that is its own body of knowledge. And some people commingle those things. Uh, I mean, what you're saying is that you shouldn't commingle them. You should have good requirements, and then you should clearly state how you're going to achieve those, because that that, like you say, that could be engineering judgment or different techniques. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really uh, nice uh, summary. If you're yeah. a listener and you've got some ideas about goals versus requirements or what a reliability requirement is or qu questions about the subject, please get in touch with us because we'd love to chat with you. As you can see, Fred and I feel pretty passionately about this. Yeah, and you can do so over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple of ways to get in touch with us. Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our about pages where we all have contact information. So we look forward to hearing from you. And yeah, I think it's going to be more than one episode on, on the measurement side of this. There's, there's lots no, of stuff to break be. in I've there. I've got some great goals today, but I have no idea how I'm going to accomplish them. So that'll be a different <laughs> subject. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, hope to talk to you soon then, Carl, and have a great rest of your day. You too, Fred. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.